0: We are so excited to announce something brand new here at Bayshore Community Church. Available now on any of the app stores, either Apple or Android or even Amazon, is the exciting Bayshore Church app for your mobile device. Now this app is chock full of content for you to use to engage with Bayshore. There's a sermon archive where you can browse past messages from both campuses. There's ways for you to sign up for classes, for events, for small groups, there's events calendar so that you don't miss anything that's happening. There's even a Bible reading section where you can get daily updates on where we are reading in the Bible. Also, this app has a great new giving feature, a very sleek and efficient way to easily give anytime you like and also have reoccurring gifts. Be sure to check out our app. You can go to bayshorecc.org/app. That's bayshorecc.org/app, and find links to download the Bayshore Church app.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. We are uh, in a series where we've been talking um, in the Book of Acts about the church, what the church is about, and um, we want to welcome our. Facebook community, live Facebook community, and thank you for listening. Uh, we have Frankie King in Wallace, North Carolina, who was watching us last week, watches us every week in Wallace, North Carolina. So welcome, Frankie. Uh, thank you for watching. And uh, Frankie happens to be the father of Brad King, who uh, tends here and plays uh, on the stage here. So uh, uh, welcome to Frankie King. And we're excited about everybody that's listening. Today we're uh, we're working through the book of Acts and we're looking at different uh, parts of the book of Acts and finding themes in there and things that speak through us in the, uh, in the book of Acts. And, and so this is, a, this is a really, really good chapter, chapter 5, and uh, there's a couple things that we want to talk about today as we look at uh, Acts chapter 5. We're actually going to zero on, on one particular thing, but uh, hopefully you can find some, uh, some connection here on this. Acts 5 verse 12. We'll begin there. This is uh, in the aftermath of the, heal, uh, of the uh, judgment of Ananias and Sapphira that we studied last week, and this is what happened after that. So here's how it reads. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles formed, performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result people brought back the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as the passersby as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all the associates his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors on the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent them uh, sent for jail, to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them, so they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the door, and when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing the report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, "...teaching the people. At that the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force, because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in the name, he said. Yet you filled Jerusalem with this teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and all the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men." The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to the right hand, his own right hand, as a prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so the Holy Spirit, whom God has given us, those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Now this is really, really... Interesting story. Now, here's the significance of this story uh, in the book of Acts. This is, this is, from this point on in the book of Acts, we begin to see the persecution of the apostles and the followers of Jesus. It intensifies at this point. Uh, chapter 4, they're persecuted a little bit. They're called before the Sanhedrin. But now things really ratchet up. And this is the first time, we'll read uh, later in the chapter, this is the first time the apostles are literally uh, scourged or whipped for their faith. They're physically abused for following Jesus. So there's some irony in the story. There's some funniness in the story. If you look at the story closely, uh, the story is about tension between the apostles and the Sadducees, who ruled the Sanhedrin? Sanhedrin was like the Congress, basically. They were the governing body of Israel under the Roman uh, Roman umbrella, and the Romans let the these Jewish people kind of uh, in the Sanhedrin rule rule uh, local affairs, but they were predominantly uh, influenced or led by a group called the Sadducees. Sadducees didn't uh, didn't believe in life after death. Uh, they believed that when a person's body died, their soul died as well. Uh, The Sadducees didn't believe in in spirits or angels. So what's kind of funny about this story is God uses an angel to deliver the apostles uh, from jail. They're in prison, and uh, and this angel comes and delivers them. It's kind of a cool thing that happens, and, 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 and the angel does it covertly. So they don't really see what's happening. So the guards are actually guarding an empty cell. And when they are called in the morning to get the apostles out, there's nobody in there. So it's a little bit of funny, funniness there when you think about it, that they didn't believe in angels, but angels brought them out and they were delivered. So that's kind of interesting. But <clears throat> what's interesting about the first, you know, uh, ratcheted up persecution of, of the apostles, and this is the persecution of all the apostles, just not Peter and John and James, these are all the apostles, all 12 of them. The reason that they're persecuted is, is for petty reasons, for petty reasons. It's not because of doctrine or theology, something they believed. Uh, it, it wasn't even because of Jesus. They were persecuted because of jealousy, that there was incredible jealousy between uh, the, the Sanhedrin toward the apostles. The apostles are like the Beatles coming to America. They, have, they are incredibly popular at this point. Um, they're healing people, they got a new message. Momentum is with the church, momentum's with the apostles. And this, the Sadducees who ruled the Sanhedrin have, have enjoyed all of the attention. They've kind of like been in their driver's seat. They had full control of all the local things that are happening, and everybody re- respects them. Maybe they don't totally respect them, but they, they honor them because they have control. All of a sudden, that's changed, and they've lost control. The spotlight has gone off of the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin to the apostles. Do you know that the, uh, the spotlight can be addicting? When you are in the spotlight constantly, it can be addicting. So this is what's happened here. The, the Sanhedrin, uh, they don't like it that the apostles are getting all this attention, and so they're jealous. And the Bible says in verse 17 that they were filled with jealousy. Filled with jealousy. They weren't just jealous, they were filled with jealousy. The word filled in the Greek is the word pletho, Uh, It's the same word to say if you had a room that was filled with people and you couldn't get another person in. They're completely packed. Or, listen to this, it's the same word used when Jesus was on the cross and he was thirsty and they took a sponge and they soaked it in vinegar and put it on a stick and gave it to Jesus. It's the same word. They were soaked with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. Now, there's a difference between jealousy and envy, I, I'm reading this book. I actually had read the book a while back, and I started reading it a little bit this week when I realized that the main theme in this story is jealousy. Uh, there's a book by a guy named R.T. T., R. Kindle, who wrote a book called Jealousy, the Sin Nobody Talks About. It's a really, really good book. Nobody reads the book because who wants to read about jealousy? I'm, I'm sure it's not hardly ever read, but it's a great book. He says there's a difference between envy and jealousy. He said envy is like if somebody has a nice house Uh, You know, the Bible talks about in in, uh, the Ten Commandments, the last commandment is, Thou shalt not covet. Uh, And and he says coveting and being envious of people is pretty common. We've all envied somebody, you know. Now that I've got my new Tacoma pickup truck, I I sense people lusting at my truck at the intersection. (laughs) I'm kind of enjoying it, actually, you know. Never happened with a Honda Civic, but they are lusting at that truck. But he said, Envy... Envy is like if somebody gets a nice house, you look at that house and wish you had that house, and you just would love to have that house. He said jealousy is wishing the house would burn down. He said jealousy, you know, envy is like, uh, is like if, if, if somebody gets a promotion at work and they get a nice uh, promotion and a nice raise. Envy is kind of wishing and desiring that that would have happened to you. He said jealousy is wishing that they'll get fired. It's more more poisonous. Jealousy is poisonous. In this story, we're not talking so much about envy. We're talking about jealousy because we find out in verse 34 that the, the Sanhedrin wants to kill the apostles because they're angry at them. Notice that jealousy and anger often travel together. Wherever you find anger many times there's jealousy at the root of that. When somebody attacks you, sometimes it's because of jealousy. They're jealous of you in some form or fashion. So jealousy is, uh, you know, Shakespeare said jealousy is something we never, we never admit or we never talk about, but yet the Bible talks about jealousy quite a bit. Here's an the, here's, here's the interesting thing. Do you know the most written about form of jealousy in the Bible, the most uh, common correlation with jealousy in the Bible is sibling, sibling rivalry. People that are jealous of their brother are jealous of their sister. In fact, I read one report, I think it was in New York, New York Times as I was researching this, uh, one report said that 45%, 45% of adult people feel rivalry or distance from their brother or sister. That is almost half the people in this room that you have some sort of jealousy or envy toward your sister, toward your brother, and it affects some, somewhat your relationship with those people. And I think... Uh, that's an interesting thing that we have to always watch out for, and as we're raising our kids, those of you that are raising kids and raise kids, we always try to, you know, uh, celebrate each of our kids and their successes equally and, and love them and praise them. That's so important to do because we can, we can literally sow the seeds of jealousy in our children when they're young by trying to compare them to uh, their, their sibling. Why can't you be more like your brother? You know why can't you be more like your sister, uh, you know, and that type of thing. So you can, you got that. Now I, I read this about this this two twins that uh, grew up together, uh, and Al Golden, uh, Al Golden, uh, and uh, Ian Golden, and these two boys grew up as, as twins in uh, New York City. They were raised in Brooklyn. They were born in I think 1947. And they were raised in the same same room, same house, and their uh, their dad used to compare them with each other. Say, why can't you get better grades like your brother? Had a lot of that growing up. And uh, these boys grew up, and they went to the same college, graduated from the same college the same year, and they both got married a week apart, and uh, uh, Al became went into the mirror business and later the the uh, insurance business and his brother Ian he went and he became a lawyer and uh, he ultimately became a uh, Supreme Court lawyer for New York State but interestingly Al became more successful more successful financially than his brother who was the Supreme court uh, state supreme court lawyer and he did real well in the mirror business and did real well in life and uh, he got a big big bass boat and he was living it up and his brother Ian said to him one day you know Al how come you got more money than I do and Al said I knew what he meant what he meant was how come you got more money and I'm more successful and there was that undercurrent undercurrent of jealousy in their relationship for years, and then finally it erupted when, um, when, their, when their mother got ill, and uh, Ian accused Al of not doing enough to take care of their a- aging mother and they had a falling out, and and Al said it was because of jealousy over all those years, and they didn't talk to each other, and then talked to each other for a year, and then finally uh, uh, Ian started reaching out to Al, but Al would have nothing of it, had nothing of it. And some of the other family members tried to get them back together, and they didn't talk for over a year. And then one day, Ian, the lawyer, he sends an email And the email says he read this story about two men that had a stream between them. And one man decided to build a fence in front of the stream. But when when the carpenter came, he misunderstood the order and he built a bridge instead of a fence. And Al said when he read that email... He said, it's time for me to walk across the bridge. It's time for me to walk across the bridge. Here's a picture of of Ian and Al hugging each other. And uh, this is when they were about 80 years old. And three years later, uh, it was uh, Ian that died and Al was living. So, you know, sibling rivalry is something that people experience. Jealousy toward each other. And you can take all of your energy in life and you can be thinking about why, why is my brother more successful or why is my sister more successful or, or why do my parents love my sister or love my brother more than me. And that, that type of thought process goes on in people all the time and uh, it's accelerated in people's minds and they, they deal with that. But you know what we need to remember? The Bible says in the book of Psalms, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. The Lord is our ultimate sense of security in life. It's not what people think about us, it's not what we have, it's not what we've achieved. It's because we belong to Jesus and He's our Lord, and our identity has to always be wrapped up in Him. Can you say a big amen? So this is a big, big problem. So in the in this story, we have this. This pattern of jealousy, we have this, uh, we have this anger, we have this frustration, we have this, uh, we have this, uh, we have this, uh, you know, incessant, uh, you know, tension between the Sanhedrin and the apostles, and basically they're struggling because the spotlight has shifted from them, and the spotlight is now on the apostles and they are starving without the spotlight, and they're angry because the spotlight's not on them, and they're frustrated, and they're, and they're dealing with all this anger because wherever you find jealousy, you always find anger. Wherever you find envy and bitter envy, you'll find this sense of disorder, the book of James says, where all this disorder's in place because of the jealousy that's there. I was uh, watching... Uh, the U.S. Open last weekend, most of you know I'm a big tennis fan. I love tennis, and I uh, was watching the women's final, and I saw the big you know, meltdown that Serena Williams had. Some of you watched that, and some of you are tennis fans, and some of you are were interested in that. But all week long, people have been talking about Serena's meltdown. She got uh, really angry at the, at the judge, and she said it's because uh, Car- Carlos Ramos was the— uh, was the chair umpire and she was accusing him of not being fair to her and, and uh... and i watched it in pain you know because i love tennis and i watched it and i saw it was just so disheartening for me to see that and, and all this drama about well it's women are not being treated the same way as men and all that and, and everybody that's honest and really looks at that they know it's not about that it's not about that. here's a picture of serena uh... williams who uh... Is so angry at the chair umpire and she's losing her temper and she's so, she's so angry and, uh, and, and so what I, what I think is really going on here and I, I have always loved Serena and loved Venus and loved their, their, their family and, and loved what she's done for tennis um, but everybody knows what this is about this is not about, it's not about gender, it's about the spotlight is not on me anymore and the spotlight has shifted From me to a 20-year-old unknown girl named Naomi Osaka from Japan. That's what that's about. And we've got to learn. All of us have to learn in life to handle when the spotlight shifts from you and it goes to somebody else. You can't. You can't feed on the spotlight. You can't feed on the approval of other people. You can't feed on fame. You can't feed on all that. You have to feed on Jesus. Jesus has to be our security. Because regardless of how good your business is and how big your company is, someday somebody's company's going to come, it's going to be bigger, it's going to be more successful, and they're going to make more money, and everybody's going to be talking about them. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how good-looking you are right now. A lot of you, uh, you know, you're looking fine. How many know you're looking fine? You're looking fine. And you know... You look in the mirror and you say, God, have you ever made anything so wonderful in your life? But you know what? You put all of your identity and how you look, and you put all your energy in everybody saying, Oh man, aren't you gorgeous? One day, you know, Mother Nature will win. <laughs> Time is a wonderful healer, but a lousy beautician. So you got to say, you know, Lord, my identity is not in my looks. My identity is not in in my achievements. You know, you need to achieve. You need to feel good. You need to work hard. But your identity has to be deeper than that. Your identity has to be in Jesus. And and regardless if, if you can't ever work again or you can't, Produce the way you used to. Whatever it is that you can't seem to pull the spotlight in your direction anymore. You have to say, my identity is in Jesus. And because Jesus loves me, and because Jesus gave his life for me, and because Jesus made me specifically for a mission that he has for me, then my life is always meaningful. Can you say a big amen? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Say this with me. My security... Comes not from how I look, not how much money I have, not because the spotlight's on me. My security comes from my relationship with Jesus. Very important thing to know, very important thing to know. So I think in the story we have this, we have this shift to the spotlight from the Sadducees' from the Sanhedrin, and all of a sudden you have to realize that, that the spotlight has shifted. And the anger and the frustration and the angst that they have toward the apostles, ironically, isn't about Jesus. It isn't about theology. It's about that they're no longer in control. And they no longer can rule the roost. And we've got to learn to be able to do away with that hunger and lust for the spotlight. And that's an important, important principle for every human being to learn and for us to, to walk through. So part of, part of how we do that is we need to recognize, first of all, that... Uh, that when, when, when we see somebody else applauding uh, other people and we see the successes of other people, part of being mature as we grow in maturity uh, is learning to be able to celebrate the successes of other people. Here's what it says. In fact, God teaches us that. He teaches us as we grow in our faith that we have to learn how to celebrate the successes of other people. It says, it says in uh, the book of Romans, to mourn with those that mourn and to rejoice with those that rejoice. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. It's easier to mourn with people than it is to rejoice with them. It's easier to commensurate with somebody when they're struggling and they're going through a hard time, you know, and they're not, do- they're, they're not doing good. And you like you can mourn with them. Uh, it's like uh, it's it's like you know people that are a group of people that love each other, the good friends. They're all trying to lose weight, and they're all buddies, and they're trying to lose weight, and nobody's losing weight, and they're trying. They're going to Weight Watchers, and they can't lose weight, so you know they go to Dairy Queen and talk about it, and they try to figure out, <laughs> and everything's good. Everybody's suffering together. But you let one person start losing weight and start doing good. And it's hard to say, Joan, you lost 20 pounds this week. That's awesome. And I lost three ounces. That's amazing. That's hard to do. But what does it say? Mourn with those that mourn. Say it with me. Mourn with those that mourn. And rejoice with those that rejoice. Here's what here's what I, Mark Rutland who was, he was the president of Southeastern University uh, where the white girls are going um, uh, and he was the president and it was then the president of orr Roberts University great guy, I met him and really loved this guy, great, great leader he says this, he said, he said God does things differently than we do things he said if If a mother has three kids and she goes to the grocery store and she buys a candy bar, she comes home and she takes a knife and she cuts that candy bar into three pieces and she gives each of those kids a piece of the candy bar and they eat the candy bar. He said, God doesn't do that. God goes to the grocery store, has three kids. He brings one candy bar home, and he gives one kid the whole candy bar and tells that kid to eat the candy bar, and he tells the other two kids to clap while that kid is eating the candy bar. That's rejoicing with those that rejoice. So part of our assignment this week as we go through, you know, growing in Jesus and serving Jesus and loving Jesus Part of the thing that we need to do, learn to do is as we see each other, God blessing each other and God prospering each other, to learn to not see that as a threat, but to see that as part of God's plan and say, God, we th- I thank you that you're blessing my brother. I thank you that you're blessing my friend. I rejoice with them. In fact, I'm going to call them and give them a high five. Man, you are doing so good. I am just so glad to hear how you're doing. It's it's really easier to call them when they're having a hard time and say, man, I hear you're having a hard time and and all that. That's easy. Anybody can do that. But R.T. Kendall says it takes extra grace to celebrate with another person. Here's what R.T. Kendall says. Uh, And uh, before I close here, I've just got one more point here to make. Um, R.T. Kendall says this, Indeed, minimal grace is required to weep with those who weep, but rejoicing with those who rejoice takes considerable grace, inner security, and stature. He says this. Listen to this. He says, A true friend is not necessarily someone that will weep with you, but one who will rejoice with you, when you have calls for rejoicing. So the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, when the spotlight went off of them, they couldn't celebrate the successes of the apostles. And the incredible principle there that we need to learn. Here's what what I, I think is important. It's important that when, uh, I, I, in fact, our success and our prosperity is linked to our ability, our success and our prosperity is linked to our ability to celebrate the successes of other people. Let me read you uh, a little thing. How many remember, do you remember Linda Ronstadt? R- Linda Ronstadt, remember her? She was a singer. I think we have a picture of Linda Ron Stanton somewhere, there she is. And uh, she was a singer, pop singer in the 70s, and she sings country music as well. And uh, how many, I know you all listen to Christian music all the time, but how many know who she is? You know who she is? Okay, that's great. And uh, she wrote some, some good songs and all that, and she still sings. But uh, the first time she heard Emmy, Emmy, Emmy Lou Harris sing, uh, she, she was really shocked by how good she was. And here's what she said. My first reaction... Uh, to it when I heard her sing, when I heard uh, Emma sing, my first reaction to it was slightly conflicted. First, I loved her singing wildly. Second, in my opinion, she was doing what I was trying to do, only a whole lot better. Then came a split-second decision that I made that affected the way I listened to and enjoyed music for the rest of my life. I thought that if I allowed myself to become envious of Emmy, it would be painful to listen to her, and I would deny myself the pleasure of it. If I simply surrendered to loving it, what, loving what she did, I could take my rightful place among other drooling Emmy Lou fans, and then maybe, just maybe, I might be able to sing with her. I surrendered. She wrote that in her book, "Simple Dreams." Here's what happened. Linda Ronstadt went on not only to sing with Emmy, but also to record three awarding winning albums with her and Dolly Parton as a trio. So the attitude toward another person's success and learning to applaud other people's successes in an ironic way opens the way for us to succeed ourselves. The thing about the Sadducees in the story is, let me just ask you, have you ever met a Sadducee? The Sadducees ceased to exist. They disappeared into history because of their adversarial attitude toward what God and who God was blessing. Who God was blessing. So we have to just do a little little inventory of our heart. I know for me, I... I thought, well, you know, Lord, I don't have that much trouble with jealousy, I don't think. And, and uh, I was getting ready for this message, so I always have to preach it to myself. And I thought, about I thought about something. I thought about, you know, someone that got honored for a degree that I thought I tried to say, oh, you know, they didn't really deserve that. And all of a sudden I realized that didn't come from any academic integrity. That came from my own jealousy. I said, you know, Lord, i gotta, I got to bring that to you. That's not... That's not, what I should, that's not what I should feel in my heart. Maybe some of you today, you've got a, you've got a brother or you've got a sister. You are, your whole life has been fixated on competing with them. And you're like Saul in the Old Testament who the crowd said about, David has slain, or Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And when, when Saul heard that, he became jealous of David and he spent his entire life Career, chasing David in the wilderness, burning up all of his energy, chasing somebody that he was jealous of. And you think about what he could have done with all of that energy, all that energy trying to get rid of that jealous person or the person he was jealous of. If he had channeled that energy, he could have had a fabulous kingdom. John Ogilvie was the... Uh, chaplain to the U.S. Senate years ago. He was uh, this guy with a deep baritone voice and he, uh, uh, he preached at Hollywood Presbyterian Church for many years in California and then he became the United States chaplain to the Senate. I've read a couple of his books. And John Ogilvie tells in this one book, he says that, uh, he, said that he told this Greek legend of these two runners that had a race and one runner had trained and trained and felt he was a superior runner and they had a race and this, that runner lost. And it was devastating to see his opponent win. And the town, in honor of the winning runner, put a statue of the runner, the winning runner, in the center of the city in the city square. And this losing runner... He was tormented by the attention that that runner got. And so he devised a plan. Every night when it got dark, when everyone went to bed, he went into the center of the city square and he took a chisel and he took a hammer and he started chiseling at the base of that statue, hoping that one day it would just topple over and it would crumble. And one day he's chiseling at the base of that statue and nobody's there and he gets thinking about that person that beat him and that face of that his opponent and he got so carried away he hit it so hard that he broke the base and the statue fell on top of him and crushed him to death jealousy will destroy your potential jealousy will destroy your joy jealousy will rob from us, and we need to say, God, thank you for what you're doing in my sister. Thank you for what you're doing in my friend. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this person or this person around me. I have a calling. I have a mission. I'm like John in John 21, where he thought Peter uh, Peter was told by Jesus that, you know, that he perhaps will be in prison at the end of his life. And he looked at John and he said, what about John? What about John? And Jesus said, don't worry about John. Follow me. Follow me. And do what I've called you in life. Don't worry about your brother's success. Don't worry about your sister's success. Don't worry about your friend's success. Don't worry about that. What is that to you? Is what Jesus said to John. What is, or to Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. Would you lift your hands to the Lord this morning? And would you say, Lord, I don't need to be jealous of anybody. I don't need to be filled with insecurity. I don't need to be constantly competing in my mind and my emotions with somebody. I don't need that stress. I don't need that diversion in my life. I need to focus on your calling on me. So God, as we come this Sunday, Lord, and we we come to this special moment in our life, we thank you for who we are. We thank you for our calling. We thank you for our vocation. We thank you for our talents. And Lord, we celebrate the talents of other people. We pray that you'll fill us with your spirit and help us to walk in your strength and your power. In Jesus' name, and everybody said Amen and amen and amen. Amen. If you love the Lord, say a big amen. 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 God bless you guys. Let's give the Lord a praise offering this morning.